Women of Science and Music, 30 Celebrations, Episode 6, A Magnificent Woman. There's many a lass of the scientist clan that has followed her brief in the field. She has sworn, she has cursed, been ignored and abused, but a scientist never can yield. I am Frances M. Lynch, the Artistic Director of Electric Voice Theatre, and you are very welcome to Episode 6 of our podcast series, Women of Science and Music, 30 Celebrations. Our magnificent woman is aeronautical engineer and world-famous pilot Amy Johnson, who is clearly much admired by science historian Dr Patricia Farrow. Why I think Amy Johnson's mother, she was the first woman to fly solo from England to Australia, and that doesn't sound like very much, but when she decided to do it, the longest air flight she'd taken was from London to Hull. So she got out the map of the world, and she put a ruler across the map and she found a straight line between England and Australia and she decided that was the route that she was going to fly. And a lot of it was over uncharted territory, but she set off. She was alone in an open cockpit in this tiny little biplane heading off across the continents and across the oceans. On each leg, she had to fly at least eight hours at a time. And she also had to make sure that she stuck to the route because there were depots of petrol lying along the route for her. And if she landed in the wrong place, she wouldn't be able to get her fuel. So it was a pretty hazardous sort of journey. She had to fly in stints of at least eight hours at a time. And if she went off route and landed in the wrong place, the petrol wouldn't be waiting for her. So it was absolutely crucial to follow the plan. What she hadn't bargained on was the weather. And she was flying over what was then called Burma, is now called Myanmar, near Rangoon, and there was a colossal monsoon. And so the aeroplane crashed and it was quite badly damaged. And the local people managed to fix it because what had happened was during the First World War there had been some leftover aircraft material and that aircraft material had been made into shirts for the local people. So they unpicked all these shirts and then they re-sewed them and they used them to mend the wings of her aeroplane. So then she set off again from Rangoon and went on to Australia. She went to quite a good school and she went to Sheffield University and she got a degree in economics. So to go to Sheffield University then as a woman doing economics, that's already pretty unusual. And then she had a love affair, as you do at university, that all went wrong. And she decided to go down to London. So she started working as a typist in the solicitor's office. And you can just imagine her staring out of the window day after day, clacking away on the keyboard, terribly bored. And then one Sunday, she had nothing much to do, so she got on the bus and she went out to Stag Lane Aerodrome and she saw all these moth aeroplanes. And she was absolutely, absolutely captivated and from then on resolved that that was what she was going to do with her life. On the ground. The first thing she did was get an C engineering license and she was the first woman to do that. 
And then she went on and she got all her air pilot's licenses and all the rest of it. Her father was very supportive and he gave her the money to buy a second-hand gypsy moth. And she called it Jason after the father's chain of fish shops. And she absolutely adored her aeroplane, Jason. On the ground. And she landed in Australia after that arduous journey. And all the news agents were flicking round. She said, oh, but the machine was so wonderful. So I can imagine if you're stuck up in the air with Jason for days and days and days, just you, Jason, and the clouds and the mountains, you must develop quite an intense relationship with the aeroplane that you're flying. She was the first woman to get a certificate in engineering. A lot of the other women who were flying aeroplanes at the time were very, very wealthy women who sort of did it as a hobby. But it was much more than that for her. I mean, it was her whole life. She spent her whole life up in the air and flying. And she was absolutely obsessed with it. When she set off for Australia, the Daily Mail had this rather sarcastic headline. She set off with a suitcase full of frogs. But absolutely not. When you see the photographs of her, a lot of the time she's got those goggles and the big leather jackets and the helmets, and that's because she was flying in an open-air cabin. And then there's a picture of her when she's landed in Australia and she's standing next to her aeroplane. And she looks really greasy and dirty and she's wearing these sort of very dishevelled shorts and a T-shirt. I mean, she'd obviously been inside that engine several times herself. She knew exactly how to run it. On the ground. Personally, I think it was an amazing feat for anybody to do. But at that time, for a young woman to show that much independence and spirit and set off on this incredibly long and lonely, arduous journey that nobody had ever done before. It showed such a spirit of adventure and courage that really captivated everybody's imagination. And it quite helped that she was young and she was very pretty. At one stage in her life, she had a job as a fashion model. So she, she knew how to play the press. But that even all that doesn't detract from um, that initiative and energy and just the sheer courage and fortitude and determination. It must have been a very decimating flight. In September 1931, the women's race had just begun at Cywell. In 1932, she was the guest of honour, and that time she was there with her husband. And they did all sorts of aerobatic stunts and races and she took the children up in the aeroplane with her, which I'm sure for all of those children was something that they remembered for the whole of their lives. And the crowds had gathered, parked their cars. And she performed at other similar pageants around the country. Um, in various ways. One of the things that she was really, really good at was the flower bombing. And that was a competition where you got in your aeroplane and you flew above the crowd and then you had to drop a bag of flour as near as possible to a target marked out on the ground. And she always won the flour bombing competition. On the ground. Dorothy Spicer was a very, very highly qualified engineer. She went right up to the very highest level in engineering, which a lot of people were very surprised about, and no woman had ever done it before. And then she teamed up with another woman who was also a pilot. They ran a commercial company giving taxi rides, and they also performed in pageants all over the country. They raised a lot of money for charity. They just loved showing off and 
people loved watching them. Dorothy Spicer, the first woman to reach the top as an aircraft engineer, is looping and diving with have a wonderful time of it, I think. Bats and moths are the classic example of an evolutionary arms race. They send out very, very, very high-pitched whistles that bounce back, and they like eating moths. And because they had this sonar detection system that they developed, they could find where the moths were and gobble them up. Now, the moths to defend themselves, started developing their own defence mechanisms. So they developed ears, so they could hear all the sounds that the bats were sending out, and they could swoop and dive in order to avoid the bats. So then some of the bats got still more sophisticated and they changed the frequency of their signals so that the moths couldn't hear them. But then the moths also got more sophisticated and some of them started emitting very, very high-pitched clicking sounds that confused the bats and made them lose control of where they were flying. So the bats and the moths were engaged in this evolutionary competition. The bats to catch the moths to eat them and the moths to defend themselves and put the bats off their stride. The Duchess of Bedford is right up there with Amy Johnson as one of my favorite women of the early 20th century. She married an incredibly, incredibly wealthy man. Instead of just spending her money splashing out on going to balls and luxury holidays, she really did everything she possibly could with her life. So she was very interested in ornithology, so she used to go bird watching in Scotland and she belonged to the Ornithological Society and the Linnaean Society at a time when it was extremely rare for women to do that. She was a very philanthropic woman. She set up a big hospital to treat local people free of charge. And then during the war, that was converted into a military hospital. And she didn't just play Lady Bountiful and dispense the money. She was actually in there working, doing the organization, and she trained to be a radiographer so that she could work in the operating theater next to the surgeons. And then after the war, by this time, she was already growing rather seriously deaf, but she didn't let that put her off. When she was 60, she decided she was going to train as a pilot, and that's what she did. And then she started establishing round-the-world flying records as well. It's quite an elderly, deaf woman. So I admire her for not giving in to the challenges of disability and of age, but also of being blessed with so much money but spending it in such an, an exciting way for her, but also in ways that were of enormous benefit to other people as well. So I think she was an absolutely magnificent woman, very different from Amy Johnson, but equally splendid and courageous. Above Pittsford water, the gypsy's mob climbs. Mary Duchess of Bedford is leaving the field, heading for feral or woman. Abby, she circles and disappears 
into the welcoming Amy Johnson, her flying career petered out. She was dedicating her life to appearing in fashion shots. She was making things like handbags and beauty accessories to sell. So if the war hadn't happened, she'd probably have gone on and been the equivalent of Mary Quant or Laura Ashley. She was only 38 when she died, and it was while she was carrying out work for the ATA. It's a complete mystery what happened. We don't know, she might have run out of fuel. She might have misread the map. There are claims that another British military person challenged her for the password. She gave the wrong password twice, and so he shot her down. Amy Johnson herself completely disappeared. The romance of her death certainly contributed to the allure of her story. Beautiful young woman, makes good, flies to Australia on her own, joins an army organisation and dies mysteriously during the Second World War. The music came from Bats, Moths and Biplanes by Francis M. Lynch, with additional texts from Animals World by zoologist Doris McKinnon, interspersed with information gleaned from discussions I had with wildlife conservationist Debbie Samwell and ecologist Misha Cross. It was created using bat clicks, biplane engines and natural sounds, with the voices of electric voice theatre singers Jenny Miller, Margaret Cameron, David Shepherd, Julian Stoker, Guion Thomas and myself. It was first performed online for Bricksworth Music Festival in May 2020 and was inspired by Cywell Aerodrome's Women's Meeting of 1931 and by the wildlife close by at Pittsford Water Nature Reserve and Bricksworth Country Park. That's the end of Episode 6, A Magnificent Woman. Many thanks to science historian Dr Patricia Farrah, Emeritus Fellow of Clare College, Cambridge, and of course to you for listening. Do join us for episode 7 of Women of Science and Music 30 Celebrations, when we will be marking the foundation of the International Council of Nurses and Midwives through the voices of some of those who became part of Windrush Medicine in Essex. Oh, <laughs>